for the Dad Bod Rap Pop with your hosts, Timon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say, not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap pod Podcasting live from San Jose, California It's the dad bod rap pod My name is Demo Carter, a.k.a. Dim One I am joined by my bros Nate LeBlanc, what's happening, man? Uh, doing great uh, I, are you guys watching this like fall of the crypto stuff? Like I was gonna like, say, Sam, America, no. Sam Bankman-Fried <laughs> like lost like sixteen billion dollars and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I I don't know why I don't care about crypto or Bitcoin or anything like that at all, but I have been like fascinatingly watching this implode, and it's weird that it's happening right as Twitter is imploding. Like yeah. some, it, it some feels very off right now and that's how i am okay okay <laughs> nate looks like a crypto guy doesn't care about crypto for uh, the allow me to be the first to say bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> yes uh that'll be nate's coming on coming on real soon uh check your fts markets for that uh dave ma what's good my man Hey, you guys. Good to see. Good to see you guys again. Good to get the um, trifecta back in action. Um, and I just bought a bunch of Bitcoin this morning. So fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Buying cheap these days. I had a bunch of friends who um, a couple of friends who are financial advisors who like maybe six, seven months ago were like, no, dude, you have to like you have to do this. So I'm like, all right. All right. Fine. You guys know things. So my hundred dollars that I put into Bitcoin uh six months ago now can get you on the bus i can get a bta <laughs> token maybe a small coffee because that's how the new economy works but um yeah shout out to everybody for tuning in i hope you're you're uh you got out of bitcoin faster than we did uh and you're still into hip-hop because you're listening to this podcast and we have a, a really interesting guest on the other side of this intro um it's interesting to see now that we're men of a certain age, how people we looked at and followed in the nineties, some people actually have very interesting second acts, right? Just because you haven't mm-hmm. seen somebody on a, on a record in a while, doesn't mean like they're destitute. Like some people went on to do a variety of different things. Uh, and cap D might be the most interesting person of them all. Nate, when we were driving down to, Ontario, um, you put me in front of some all natural joints and was like, no, listen to this. Um, and I was, I remember being a little bit blown away because I ha- I didn't really tap in with them during their run run, but talk a little bit about all natural and Cap D's involvement with the group. Yeah, totally. So I've just been a big uh, fan of All Natural since I think 1997 when they put out their first album it's called No Additives No Preservatives and if you guys you guys know me pretty well so this will make sense and I feel like the audience has gotten to know me a little bit over the past episodes it's like it comes with a book 
They're posing inside of a restaurant. The tracks are broken up into appetizers, main courses, dessert. Like, it's just speaking to my sensibility. And it's, like, intensely lyrical underground hip-hop that's kind of about rapping and hip-hop and being independent. And it's a one DJ, one MC collective. It just, it checks so many boxes for the kinds of things that I like. And it's, like, it's it's underground, dude. Like, it's, like, they're so into being underground, almost to a point now where you listen to it and you're like okay was there anything else you wanted to rap about but like and we got to talk to uh to david a little bit about that but uh, to me capital d is one of the best writers of his era and he's an incredible mc and um an interesting person and has just always been someone that i admired their skill and their craft and to find out that they're you know hugely successful later in life in some other field doesn't surprise me at all but um, they worked a lot with the Mole Men and were part of a very vibrant Chicago scene of like ill lyricists. Like, you know, on um, Open Mike Eagle's new tape, he has that thing from the radio where he's like, Chicago yeah. got lyrics. lyrics. Like, yeah, you yeah. guys don't even know. You're kind of talking about common, but you don't know. We're, we got lyrics. Like, it's that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I think they're from a slightly older generation, but uh, the name Mole Men rings out. Um, Rubber Room was a, around in part of this. That gentleman from Rubber Room, whose name I don't remember right now, just passed away. So people have been talking about Rubber Room a lot. Um, and yeah, I uh, I found out about Mole Men first. They had like an instrumental 12-inch um, that I bought when I was really, really young and first getting into record collecting. And then when I saw they had produced some of this, I just instantly copped the CD, which came with this little book. And uh, yeah, that's just been... Ever since then, I've been kind of following what they did. And um, they're... They're dope, man, and not enough people really know about them or are talking about them. But I see why. Like, I, I totally get why. It's not like this thing where I'm like, oh, everyone's so stupid. You know, it's just like it's really underground and it's really yeah. focused on certain subject matter. And it's really it, it, it like as he's going to say in the interview, I don't want to spoil anything. It didn't make it super far and wide like they were. They were really underground is what I'm going to keep saying. And I'm trying to be nice about it. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I hear you. I hear you, Dave. How did uh how did you come into knowledge of of all natural? I actually didn't really um get into them until a couple uh, years after uh, no no additives and no preservatives uh, dropped, and um, I liked it right away. But actually, what really grabbed me was were, were the production. Um, I know we're talking about how heavy they are in the lyrical sense, but um, I always really liked the beats. Um, specifically the beat fifty, uh, the beat for fifty years and MC Avenger. Those still stand out to me, but um. Then I went back and sort of did the knowledge. Um, and as you guys will hear on the other side of this interview, um, Cap D talks about Rakim and his influence. And um, Cap, uh, Cap D, I mean, he sounds like he took a Rakim tutorial workshop and yeah. on how to effectively rap. And, and he's the kid who got the A+. Plus. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that to sound like he's derivative at all, but he is just a masterful storyteller. And the way he puts things into context, I think, um, still stands out to me. Um, shout out to Tone B. Nimble, too. I really like the production on it. And I know that Cat D also did a lot of the production. So I'm not familiar exactly who did which beat at this point. But um, yeah, huge fan. And, and at that point, when I came across them, I wasn't even really into regionalism. I wasn't sure where these cats were from. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh, they're, they're Chicago, you know. Um, and just through the years, I mean, there's just so many layers to them. And to Nate's point, I mean, they they remain underground as fuck and um in sort of in in all of the ways that you know that matter to me and um yeah really into sure. him i'm um, really stoked to have talked to him because um um his his second and third act are 
hugely, hugely amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, if only we can do that ourselves. Yeah, one can only hope. I, I don't have the law degree yet, but I'm going. <laughs> Maybe by the time we're in our 60s, we'll be executives. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to DeVry, so you guys stay tuned. Uh, yeah, uh, the joint that Nate played for me that kind of really turned my head around it and made me uh, kind of reevaluate All Natural was a track called This Is How It Should Be Done, which is um, sort of a, an homage to Rakim. Mm -hmm. uh, Although not not super derivative, but it it has this um, he, he's chopping and he's saying things that are uh, he's making sense, which always stands out to me because there was in the in the mid 90s, you know, more earlier than mid. But there was this sense of like you could just like rap about rap or rap about anything mm -hmm. and not really make sense as long as you were fly. And I'm, I'm all for that in certain cases. But um, on this joint, which is really just four minutes of him rapping his ass off. Um, he's also making intense sense. It, it, it almost feels like uh, an instruction manual mm -hmm. kind of level of, of how he's, he's talking to you and breaking shit down. So I, I was impressed and I almost shocked that I wasn't more uh, tapped into this when it originally came out. Although uh, I think I went into a deep depression from about 97, 95 to 97 about rap. Like I was very disillusioned with the rap. So this is probably why it didn't cross my desk, but um, definitely was was impressed with it. And to hear him talk about it um, through grown man's eyes, right, Nate? Like he kind of, yeah, he's, 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 he has a self-awareness. Oh, yeah. a ton of self-awareness. We, you know, we don't get to talk about it a ton on the show, but we are keenly aware of who has self-awareness and who doesn't. And <laughs> kind of uh, categorize people on the scale of what we want to talk to them again is kind right. of the same. It's kind of the, it's a your your graph has to meet with self-awareness and dopeness, and yeah. uh, that's I mean, this David uh, Cap D was like so astute and. Uh, sharp about what happened why things worked why things didn't and um oh, very aware of his place with it and then i guess we should say like now his new job is he's the general counsel for the golden state warriors the greatest basketball franchise that's ever existed uh which is a pretty sick job <laughs> yo man uh the sickest actually um and so we were very much like small children in a way of like tell us about your experiences with the warriors and he's like, I don't know them. <laughs> he's like, I'm older right. than them. He's like, I'm older <laughs> than them. No, no. He's he's literally the lawyer. Like he is the head lawyer for the Golden State Warriors. Um, and he'll talk more about his his kind of pedigree, but he's still rapping, which I think is amazing. Um, we had Juice on the program. He teased this project with Cap D, um, produced by Georgia Ann Muldrow, which I haven't heard yet, still can't wrap my mind around what that would sound like um <laughs> but definitely excited to hear it um but we we got a little time off mic to talk to him about our beloved warriors dave i need you to fix the warriors right now i need you to <laughs> we need solutions uh what the fuck happened bro tell us 
I think Steph needs to score 80 points. Versus, uh... <laughs> if he averages 75 a game, we can do this. <laughs> His back must be hurting, man. Um, Seriously. Yeah, it, it really sucks, man. I've been watching the, the Warriors games the last uh, – every game almost, and it becomes kind of hard to watch, you know, and I think um, it's a lack of support. I mean, if he was putting up these numbers a couple years ago with yeah. the uh, surrounding cast of what they were doing a couple years ago, we would be 9-2 and two or whatever. But, yep. you know, unfortunately, um, there seems to be a lot of implosion. And I think the young guys are blowing it. And um, I don't want to fixate it on too much. But um, I think the Draymond Jordan Poole thing, I think it's fucked up everyone's psyche. I think it's still lingering. Yeah. Uh, Dave, when you punched Nate, it was real. <laughs> it took us a long time to get through that. That was season three. That's how we're talking about when Dave publicly stated that he likes Lab Cabin better than Bizarre Right Now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really hurt my feelings. I thought we were in this together. <laughs> uh, no, so the Warriors are 0 and 7 on the road to start the season. And Wild. it's like, it's like the games are like disgusting. Right, like, right. Like you're right. losing to Orlando. <laughs> in like the middle of the afternoon because the game starts super early poor, on the yeah. east coast and yeah. i'm like bro i'm not even off work yet you're already <laughs> down 15 to orlando like they're a lottery <laughs> team it's crazy i came into this season with such sky high now i realize unearned expectations about how good they were going to be it's like you got the core group of veterans and then you have all right. these young guys who've spent time in the system and they're going to start to reach their potential they call it the two timelines right mm-hmm. in warriors twitter talk and it's like there's only one timeline there is the steph, steph. draymond clay clay yeah. n- not who he used to be jordan yeah. Poole, kind of over um uh what do you call it um over delivered like uh he, he was really good last year especially towards the end of the year and in the playoffs and he's not doing that on a night-by-night basis now so we we might have to get serious about how uh far this team can go that said i still think in seven games with a tightened rotation there'd be they'd be the favorite in basically right. any series because they have steph but whew, rough season so far yeah, it's it's I saw something where if you don't finish in the top three in your conference, you haven't went to the finals in like 25 years or something mm-hmm. crazy wow. um, because it's it just you have to play too many good teams. And so I'm I am slightly concerned. I'm going to present a slightly rosier outlook uh, because like you, Nate, I came in with really high expectations. Um, I think there's definitely a championship hangover, which happens. You know, they played mm-hmm. more basketball than any other team besides the Celtics, um, and they're older. Uh, The young guys did not pick up where they left off. There was this idea that Kaminga and uh, Jordan Poole would just pick up right where they left off. Even Moses Moody's not playing great right now. And it's one of those things where I feel like it's going to take more time than the Warrior fan has patience for. Like, (laughs) we've come to expect a certain level of basketball, like, all the time. And I think they're going to have to scuffle. Boston, before they went on their run last year, was a sub-500 team at the All-Star break. Like, it just just depends. Like, they got to come together. Um, But I feel like uh, they don't – the young guys don't have a lot of time. You you can't fuck off a a Steph Curry season when he's averaging 30-plus. And so, the player of the week this week. Yeah, and they won like a game, right? Yeah. Like two games. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like if something doesn't change, um, I think a lot of the young guys that were counted on to do things 
are going to find themselves in other places. Like the Warriors are going to do something because you you can't blow this. Like you you only get one Steph Curry uh, career, and they can't blow a year uh, waiting for fucking Wiseman to learn how to play defense. <laughs> like, Lord I have, have a, mercy. I have I a text chat with my buddy who lives in Japan, but he's a huge Warriors fan. And we have been going back and forth a little bit the last couple of weeks. Like, is it, it everyone knows his defense is bad, but my biggest problem with him is that he can't set a screen. Yes. Yeah. He's, Without tall. he's yeah. like 280 pounds. <laughs> he's, he's a brick wall and he cannot set a screen. Like, yeah. it's like, it's not that hard. You just stand there. Like you have yeah. nowhere to stand. And that's the part that he doesn't seem to get, but it's just weird to have to like nitpick this much about how the Warriors are bad. And I'm just like, they won the championship last year, kind of unexpectedly. And mm-hmm. then now this year, they just, they're, they're not in that caliber right at this moment, but uh, I trust Steve. I trust Bob Myers. I trust the team and I think they can pull it together, but woof, a rough start to this season. I trust cap D. I think his legal <laughs> advice plus rhyming acumen is going to get this ship steered in the right direction uh um, like, come on guys this is how it should be done <laughs> uh that was a three-point shot from 30 from from Nate. <laughs> um, let's get into it this is our conversation with cap d from all natural dead bod rap pod Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have Cap D of All Natural. What's happening, man? What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, living the dream here. Let Let's take it back. You're You're Chicago cat, correct? Correct. All right. So who are the who are the MCs that uh inspired you when you were first cutting your teeth as a rapper? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it's Rakim, Rakim, top of the list. Um, KRS One, Cool Keith, Chill Rob G. Um, you know, that's 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 my list. Like early, early, you know, late eighties. That's that's that that was the uh, the list. I mean, it, it changes as you as you move along, but at that point in time, that's what it was. Did it seem like oh, Chub Rock, Chub Rock, Chub Rock? Okay, oh, okay. yes. Uh, did it seem like coming up in Chicago? a big city but not necessarily a big rap city in in the 80s early 90s um did you have the sense that it it would be possible coming out of chicago was that a thing that you you were concerned about you thought about yes both yes on both of those questions so uh yes concerned about it because you know it hadn't really been done yet at that point in time um but we always me and tone um tony nimble you know other half all natural we were always just stubborn like that and just always felt that we had a, a, a large sort of, you know, the hell with New York, hell with LA, it's all about Chicago kind of mentality. Um, 
you know, so we were just stubborn to think that we could do it out of Chicago and didn't have to go anywhere else. And, and that was just, you know, kind of our thought process. Awesome, man. Awesome. You know, uh, we're going to jump ar around a little bit with your history and, you know, moving forward up to your uh, current day successes. But, you know, we had MC Juice uh, on the program uh, a while ago and he wouldn't really talk about it. He, he was very respectful to it. Uh, he teased a project with you. And I think now that we can talk about it, um, Calisthetics coming out soon, your album with Juice. Can you just kind of give us a peek behind the curtain? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, shout out to MC Juice. So, uh, true legend like it's very few people who can say that they're the best in the in the best at any one thing in right. life right um and so yeah he truly the best freestyle artist not limited to a freestyle artist but truly the best um so yeah so he and I we worked together on stuff like years ago um but we never done it we never did an album together and so yeah calisthenics is is just the two of us um Georgia Ammo Dro did all the production wow uh for the album and so it's um it's ready to drop. Like we're, we're just finalizing the mixes going in, trying to really, really polish it. Um, but it's been done for, you know, for, for a few months now um, and ready to go. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. Um, go, getting in the time machine, going all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> um, I am such a huge all natural fan and especially the first album, uh, no additives, no preservatives, but when you, Hopped on the call. I showed you I bought the CD version with the little booklet. Like I've studied your lyrics on it since then. Um, I was uh, playing some cuts for Damone when we were driving somewhere yesterday. And uh, it, it struck me, not for the first time, but fresh that we were going to talk to you that uh, this is how it should be done, which is an incredible rap song. Um, I, I would I think it's kind of a writing showcase for you. Obviously, I want you to talk about it on me. Give me a sec. But um, it also, it, it's pretty Rakimian. Like when yeah. you mentioned Rakim uh, was your major, major influence there, I was like, I I'm hearing that. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that song and what you were trying to accomplish with it? And where do you think it falls in your kind of catalog? It's, it's funny. So, um, I mean, you would never, you never wanted to come off as like a biter, right? Mm. Um, but... I would be lying if I if I didn't say when I made that song, I was thinking about I wanted a song that could stand up next to I know you got soul or my philosophy is, you know, like it's like up tempo, nothing but lyrics, um, just go. And so that was the whole thought process beyond, you know, those are the songs I listened to. Like those are the songs that got me hyped. Like I liked all styles of of hip hop um you know easy e ice cube like you know i was all i liked everything too short um but the stuff as a writer that really got me hyped was up tempo um you know poetry my philosophy that kind of stuff and so that's what that song was like to, to me to really prove that you were a dope mc you had to be able to do that um and that's what that was and so in in, in the title this is how it should be done was kind of like like this is how it should be done like this is what hip-hop this is how hip-hop is supposed to go um and so yeah so that's, that's yeah, that I mean, the whole process that is my shit man i love it so much <laughs> i've been listening to it for years now and um i you know it's it's really tough to say this but i think it it is written and delivered on par with like the greats man like it's it's really really good and um I, I, it's hard for me to tell and maybe we'll wind back to this later in the interview what all natural's impact was or sales were like it, it was kind of it's not pre-internet but it's not this internet so right. it's hard for me to tell so um i'm curious if it is 
heard widely enough, but I just want to tell you, I've tried to put it on mixtapes and show it to people and we're doing that right now. So um, there are other good songs on there, but that one's just such a showcase for your intensely, uh, you know, just pinpoint writing. It's just so great. So I'll stop. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the, the sales were enough that I had to go get a, a, a job as a lawyer. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, underground hip hop. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the scene at that time because as you mentioned when you were first starting um there wasn't really a proof of concept in terms of a rapper coming out of chicago um but by the time all, all natural is starting to coalesce there were like mcs yeah. moving around can you talk talk about the scene that that y'all sprung from yeah so i mean there was there were a lot of different crews um ill state assassins uh dim dare um he who walks three ways lower links like there were so there were a lot of these different pockets, um, I think the first, but there was no spot uh, where people could just go. And the first spot was this place called Lower Links. Uh, the first spot that we really got involved in, I shouldn't say the first spot, um, but for, for us, where we kind of cut our teeth was at like Lower Links, um, put on by my guy, Jerome, um, and um, it's a group called He Who Thros Walks Three Ways. And they had like a weekly, a weekly showcase where you just freestyles maybe somebody will perform but just basically just you get up the people just get up and just 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 freestyle and it was the first place that people like juice and Ange 13 and rubber room and a lot of the crews from from that time period could come together on a weekly basis and basically battle one another um or just you know friendly ciphers uh that not always were friendly um you know and that was that was it and that was right before like Common had dropped his first album. Um, and so I think we all kind of kind of came out of that sort of scene. That lower lower links was was like the real, in my mind, the real first spot in Chicago where people kind of got together. Um, you know, um, you mentioned sort of the Chicago era, and I wanted to bring it back. I mean, you know, you're widely I mean, you're successful now as a lawyer, but we loved your, your uh, rapping history as well. You have this uh, Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll thing. And, um, you know, I want to bring it back to your days at Morehouse in the 90s. How do you think that shaped you to be both a lawyer and an MC? I do. So, so Morehouse was pivotal for me just as a man. Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up in the South Suburbs of Chicago. So I claim Chicago, but people from Chicago will say, no, he's from the suburbs. <laughs> I grew up in the South Suburbs of Chicago. Um, was like one of the first black families to move out into that area that where, where I grew up. And so when I went to Morehouse, it was really important for me to just be around black men, right? Just be around black folks and cross the street Spelman was there, said so that, that didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it was just pivotal for me, just finding who I am, being comfortable with who I am, um, finding other, other people that were of similar or not similar, um, you know, background and mindset. And so learning just about black history and, and at that point in time, unlike most people probably, I was comfortable being the only black person in a room. Like I was not afraid of that at that point in time. Um, I had no, has cause I had grown up with that. And so I could walk into any sort of a room and it could be a honors English class at, at my high school, I was cool. Like not, not intimidated, no problem. Um, but that was the first time I was in all black spaces on that kind of a tip like so hip-hop for me did that and morehouse did mm. that 
Um, and so it was it was crucial for me. Um, I spent a little extra time down there more than just the typical four year uh, jaunt, which shows you how much I enjoyed it. Um, dropped out. Actually, we got a record deal. Mm. Um, we signed Wild Pitch Records. So um, at that point in time. And so that was right after. So Gangstar had been on, on Wild Pitch. Uh, the Cool was on Wild mm-hmm. Pitch. And um, MC Search was the A&R. And he had just signed Nas to whatever label Elmatic came out on. So like kind of Wild Pitch was like the place to be. So when when I when you signed that, that record contract, I dropped out of school. And probably the best thing that happened to me is that, that uh, Wild Pitch lost their distribution. So I had to get my behind back in school. Mm serious about life again um so yeah so that was but that was the morehouse experience for me man. oh that's super interesting um i did not know that um about the wild pitch thing um yeah. the, the mind boggles that what could have been um i, I have a, again a weird question about your guys second album um second nature being on thrill jockey which at the time it, it's chicago based but it was the home of like tortoise and like a thriving post-rock scene that you are decidedly not sounding like uh what was that like yeah so um first off you know we were always to your first very first question we were chicago 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 like you know just and so um the fact that thrill jockey was from chicago but not you know hip-hop well they're from chicago though so that's so so that's you know it's the most important thing of all um and then we just met Bettina Richards, who ran Throw Jockey. We just met her on a, on a whim. I think that she just heard our record, liked it, um, was doing independent music with Tortoise and and uh, seeing a cake and what have you, and was just like, Man, I can help these guys. Uh, they they are independent. They want to be independent. Let me just see if I can help these dudes out. Like that was basically her whole energy, her whole spirit. And we were like fiercely independent. And so it was like, yeah, cool. We'll we'll do something with you. It was it was you know not a kind of typical record deal. We could kind of, you know, had our freedom, could still be independent, but have distribution through Thrill Jockey. And that was just the way that she presented it. And so we were like, cool, it fits with our whole ethos of being independent. And we needed that that help, that that distribution help. Um, so yeah, so that's that was it. I can't even remember how we met her. I think we might've met her at a record store actually. Okay. Um, I think we were doing, in fact, we met her at a, a record store. We were doing a release party for the first record and doing like a little signing type of thing um, at my man Howard's record store. Okay. And I think she just, she just uh, rolled through and, um, and that was that. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, speaking about like record deals and the independent hustle, listening back to the first two all natural records, there's a lot of themes like cautionary tales about um, the record industry and and not selling out and things like that. Um, for those who weren't there, and I, I remember that era, so I kind of remember how all that type of rap came about. But for, for folks who weren't there, why was it so important to kind of draw that that line and distinction about how a rapper should in, interact with the industry? Yeah, I mean, I was... Tone and I were both just, we were very idealistic um, and maybe not realistic, but definitely idealistic. And it was like this hip hop thing was important to us and needed to be protected, needed to be shepherded. Um, and it helped that we, that I came from a family with means, right? It's easy to talk about not selling out when, you know, you 
you cool, right? So, and I make no mistake about the things that that allowed me to say some of the stuff that I was talking about, right? Um, but that was the life. That was that was who I was. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've I've saw ourselves as on the vanguard of this thing called hip hop that could have gone any different directions. Um, you could see the corporate influence coming in not to like Bettina came in to give it light and to help it but to really take it over and to change the message and to and to um make it more palatable to certain audiences and that was not what it was and then that's not what we felt that it should be um just from our our perspective on it and i like in a lot of ways i likened it to the black arts movement from the 60s um where you had fiercely independent poets and artists who created institutions like Haki Marabudi, Amiri Baraka, Sonia Sanchez. Um, and this is, in my mind, where hip hop needed to go. Um, you know, and so that that was the that's that was how I looked at it. That's how how we thought about it. And so that and, and it's reflected in reflected in the lyrics. Uh, thank you for that. Um, from your group efforts moving on chronologically to your solo works, um, I want to touch a little bit on uh, Writer's Block, the movie, certainly cinematic, and uh, it's with the Mole Men. And I want, you know, for, for cats who don't know of the Mole Men, can you speak on them a little bit? And just what do you recall about putting that one together? So I think one of the first records that we did on vinyl was the Mole Men produces a song called Drug Wars. Um, PNS produced it. And so it, it was always a connect that we had with them as producers. And so for most of the most of the all natural uh, records, Tone and I produced it. Um, and then, you know, I was focused on on the lyrics. He's focused on emceeing. We create some dope beats, but not enough. Um, and the moment is just a production team is just cranking out beats after beat after beat. And their sound matched what I wanted our sound to be. Um, and so it was just seamless. It was just like, like they were producing all over the place. And so it was just like, Hey, you know, panic, you got a couple of tracks or, you know, swing by his house, listen to what he has, swing by memos crib, listen to what he has. Um, and so, yeah, so it was just, it was, they were cool cats had the same sort of view of being independent and, 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 and you know, approaching the industry the same way, the whole Chicago thing, you know, this a thread through everything, right? Um, and the dope beats were dope. And so it was easy. And then so the the writer's block was really, I wanted to write an album. So I looked at, I used to look at it as if you were a dope MC and you wanted to consider yourself the best MC. And I felt like every MC wanted to try to consider himself or herself the best MC. To be the best MC, you need to be the best battle MC. You need to be the best storyteller. You need to have the best voice. You need like all. You need to have the best writing. And so there's all these categories of an MC. And I felt like the best storyteller was like Slick Rick. The best voice to me was Guru. Um, the best writers were KRS, Rakim, Coogee Rap. Um, and I wanted to be like, all right. So I consider myself writing on the level of a Rakim. I never got my voice to the point where I really felt comfortable with it, just to be totally honest. Um, and but I wanted to be able to do something cinematic storytelling, like if Slick Rick did a whole album of stories, what would it sound like? And that was kind of the real thought process on something like Writer's Block. Like you should be able to listen to it and see a movie. Okay. And that was the whole. Um, and also there's this movie that I 
that I saw that was a real corny movie in retrospect, um, but it gave me the idea. It's called Grand Canyon, and it has um, Danny Glover in it. And um, I shouldn't call it a corny movie, but, you know, <laughs> I'm familiar uh, with it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's a lot of intersecting stories. Right. And so it's like this person's like it's like a precursor, like crash um, people with lives that kind of intersect inside of strange and odd ways. And they and they took you take you in different directions. Of, of, of. And so I wanted to write an album that was similar to that movie in the sense of there's all these different characters and here's how their lives interact. And this interaction pushes this character in that way in a, in a completely different way. And so that's, that was, you know, going back, that was what I was trying to do. No, that's cool, man. You, you touched on a couple of the things that I wanted to ask you about in the previous responses. So I'll just ask a very open-ended question. And if you can put yourself in your shoes of, you know, capital D, the hungry rapper, the underground rapper from the all natural days, like, did you love rapping or did you love writing? Mm, mm. I don't think it's an or. Um, I loved writing um, because like I love producing, but I love writing in the sense of when I was producing, I was working with samples. And so there was a so I was reinterpreting what somebody else did. Writing, I was looking at an empty page and there's nothing. And if you don't put anything on the page, there will continue to be nothing. And so I just love the process of having to create something that doesn't exist on that page. And so I love, that's what I love about writing, whether it's poetry or short stories or, you know, legal stuff, whatever. Um, it has to come out of you. And if it doesn't, it just doesn't exist. And so I love that about, about writing. Um, I love rapping too, though. Like I love, um, in a lot of ways, I'm an introverted person, but I love performing. Like I love shows. I love ciphers um you know i would get nervous before every single show um and then i'd overcome it and then we just we just go and so i used to love performing and rapping so i loved them both um that's awesome it, it, that, writing that, more than rapping yeah like, definitely glad to hear it's not it's not an either or concern you can't just write them and submit them to a website or something <laughs> like you gotta say them so that's good i have a quick follow-up and i I'm just so I feel very grateful for the chance to ask you this because I've been thinking about it for a long time. You do this thing and I don't know what it's called or what you considered it, but I'm going to I don't rap, but I have to recite a little bit of it to explain it. OK, it's like you go the it's like the um, I Kareem fools in a duel and jab bars. And then it's like uh, boom, boom, washing tons of MCs like dungarees like that, that syllable play, the reference play like. The, the breaking apart of the phrases and inserting different things in that was very meaningful for my understanding of what rapping was and what good rapping was. And like, I'd never heard anyone do that quite in that way. And I kind of still haven't. So I don't know what you feel about any of that, but I just wanted to express that to you that that was very important for me. And I'm, I'm like a pretty serious hip hop nerd. So like it was one of the stepping stones on the path of me caring about this. You know what I mean? Man, so I I so appreciate you pointing that. I mean, like that was the writer in me, like looking at those words, like that those ideas of breaking apart words come from looking at the written word in my mind. Um, and so it was like looking at words and figuring out how to break it apart in in ways that no one may ever in my mind, like no one may ever get that. Um, and that's fine because I get it. And there's you know one or two people who get it, and we cool. And that was, and again, that kind of goes back to what 
the idealistic view of hip hop was. Like, I didn't need the whole world to validate it. You know, we were very stubborn and very confident. Um, I didn't need validation from a damn soul. Like, it was just like, this shit is dope. Um, Cause I say it is. Um, and that was the way we kind of, so yeah. So, but yeah, that style was from the writing, the actual like writing in, in, in words. Yeah, appreciate you. Right on, right on. Uh, you mentioned a couple times in the interview about um, your current role um, and you said, you know, you're working as a lawyer, but like, you're not just like a lawyer. Like, it's not just like Better Call Saul, personal injury lawyer. Uh, <laughs> is vice president and general counsel for the greatest basketball team ever, the ever. Golden State Warriors. Um, how how does your your life as a rapper and your life as a lawyer are they separate compartments? Are there intersections? Do coworkers come up and try to get you to freestyle? Like, what is, what is it like holding that space? It's 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 strange in a sense, and then at the same time, it kind of is who I am. Um, so my father is a is a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's also CPA as well. Um, and so being a lawyer was never something that was kind of like foreign to me. Um, he didn't practice law, but he had a law degree. He has a law degree. Um, and so it was never really something that I didn't think I could do or something that wasn't just kind of in my genes and, and I grew up around and with. Um, so being a lawyer is kind of normal. At the same time, I wasn't, I'm an MC. Like, and so there's, I don't have to turn off one to be the other. I can't, you know, I don't walk into, you know, office kicking rhymes um, right? and I don't, <laughs> do you but, think about it though do you would you yeah, get into no, something so with I, somebody I, and be like we could go freestyle right now well, so your the, crazy, the crazy thing is so my first job i was a lawyer at um cat Misha roseman a law firm in chicago and they worked the firm not me the firm did work for the bulls and the white Sox. It's a large firm. Most people at the firm do, don't have anything. It's like 600 attorneys when I started. Only maybe six were doing anything related to the Bulls and the White Sox. One of those six was when I was a summer associate, was in an office sitting right next to mine. And he and I struck up a friendship and we would, and I would tell him, and so I was a summer associate, so I'm still in law school. And I told him that, you know, yeah, I'm a musician. I do hip hop, da, 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 da. Like I was not hiding it. Like I wouldn't, again, I'm, suited up, you know, I'm doing my job as a lawyer, focused on it as a lawyer, but I ain't afraid to tell you who I am, like, you know, um, and that interested him, and we became close, we would talk about a lot of different things, and that's one of the reasons that I think he put me on some of the sports matters, because he was the, the partner who controlled all the sports matters, mm. it's one of the reasons I think he put me on those matters, because he thought I was an interesting person, and we had built a relationship and we built that relationship because I let them know that I was an MC. And mm. so I do think that there's a direct line from, you know, the hip hop stuff I was doing to what I'm doing now. Um, and those conversations. And I, and like when I talk to like law students or high school kids, you know, just about, you know, career stuff, professional stuff, like never, never hide who you are. Like I didn't go in there again, kicking bars. And there were some bars that I would not have wanted people at the office to hear. Yeah, like, that's my next question. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you should be bringing your, I, I tell people, you bring your best authentic self to work mm. and let people know who you are because 
you sh the reason that you're at the table is, is because of who you are. So if you don't bring yourself to the table, then you might as well not be there. Um, so yeah, and so people at work now know that I that I'm an MC. Um, the Golden State Entertainment thing that we're we're doing springs out of all the all natural stuff like startup mm -hmm. and and content and all of that. So it's 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 all very much interconnected. That's amazing, man. It's it's very inspiring. Um, can you let us know? you know, what the five-year plan is for the Golden State Entertainment and sort of what you've been envisioning. I mean, quite frankly, and just, and also just what is your relationship with some of the players, given that you're at the epicenter of like the greatest team ever? Yeah, so um, start with the players first. So one thing I know as an artist is you need people around you to play the role like what Bettina played for me, but you don't need people around you just for the sake of being around you. Mm -hmm. uh, you need people around you who are adding things. And I always look at the players have their agents, they have their team, they have, they do not need me um, just trying to hang around. And I like, I never want to be that guy. And so like, they know who I am, you know, high by and we keep it moving. Like, you know, it's just, and, we, and we'll have conversations about family or, you know, occasionally, but it's not like, like people always, oh, so you hanging out? Like, no. I'm not like, like, like those guys are closer in age to my son than they are to me. Like, you know, like I'm, it's, it's, there's not that. Um, I'm a lawyer, lawyer for the team, you know, where I can help, where I can assist. Boom. Of course. Um, let's, I get presentations around certain things from a league perspective or player development perspective, of course. But after that, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's professional. Um, because that's not what they need. Like they don't need another per they got enough of that every time they walk out, walk outside the house. Um, and then, so the first question, um, so the, the, the plan for Golden State Entertainment. So Golden State Entertainment is basically the platform that we have as the Golden State Warriors. So much of what we do is actually storytelling. Um, we do storytelling around games. We do storytelling to sell tickets and sponsorships to bring people to games, but it's storytelling. That's what we, that's what we do. And one of the owners of the, of the words, so the two main owners of the words, Joe Lacob and Peter Goober, Peter Goober is a Hollywood mogul. Um, no one knows storytelling like Peter Goober. And so it's like, all right, can we take our platform as the Golden State Warriors and do storytelling for the sake of the storytelling itself and in different and in, in, in original ways? So that can be documentaries, it could be, scripted shows, it could be music, it could be events. Um, and so that's that's the that's the goal. And then and then not just do storytelling about the Golden State Warriors or for the glory of the Golden State Warriors. Um, so the first documentary that we were involved in was Jeremy Lin's story. And so there was a production team that was working on uh, on Lin's 38 at the Gardens is the name of the documentary is coming out on HBO um, October 11th. And so they were working on this documentary. And so, you know, we found out about it and we tried to find a way to help facilitate it because that's, we want to be telling those kinds of stories, stories about rooted in sports, but the impact of Jerry, it's not Jeremy Lin just as a basketball player, but what's the impact that he had on the Asian American community, um, especially 10 years post Linsanity in the midst of all the violence that's happening against Asian Americans. That's the relevance of that story. That's what the real story is about. Mm -hmm. Next story that we're uh, we're a consulting producer on a, on um, the documentary about Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, 
uh, who was basketball player was basically in a lot of ways Kaepernick before Kaepernick and was Steph before Steph. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's amazing, but not so amazing that his story has not been told. And it's kind of like if in 20, 30 years from now, we all had kids who didn't know, or our kids had kids who didn't know who Colin Kaepernick was. Mm -hmm. It'd be like, how does that story not get told, right? Um, and so we want to be leaning into telling stories that have a that are rooted in sports, but have a relevance and a resonance that go far beyond sports. And some Bay Area ties doesn't hurt, right? Um, right? So what you're saying is, yes, you can get us tickets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> how often does that come up? Is that, it is that always, like just constant? It always comes back to the tickets. It always comes back to the tickets. Yeah, we're huge Warriors fans since uh, Run TMC was the things that captivated our imaginations as a youth. But um, yeah, just I, I just have to say, man, like what you're doing is incredible. Like the, the trajectory from such such an ill MC to someone who now plays this part steering the ship on this amazing franchise is uh maybe we'll maybe making making a movie about that someday <laughs> appreciate you man appreciate you all right let's uh let's land it this is a question that I ask basically every Chicago New York or LA person who comes on this program okay if you gotta pick a Chicago rap Mount Rushmore mm. for Four people that to you represent the the pantheon of Chicago rap, who would they be? Wow. I mean, so I start with Juice. Um, Juice is on there. I got to put Common on there. Um, I got to put Lupe on there. Okay. So that's, to me, that's probably an easy three. Okay. Um, I wouldn't dare put myself on there. Um <laughs> I either go Twista or Ron Fess. Okay. Um, okay. Number four. And okay. so I, I, I call that one a toss up. All right. All right. I, I like the confidence that you went into that with. Like, <laughs> listen, I know who these top three are off top. This is, that's dope, man. Uh, Cap D, want to thank you so much for coming on the program, man. Really enjoyed uh, spending time with you. And, uh, you know, we'll be on the lookout. What's the name of the, the new record that's coming out? Calisthenics is the uh, is the name of the album and the name of the group. All right, with yourself, Juice, Georgia, and Muldrow. I just remember our our brains leaking out of our ears when Juice said that. Like, what? Like, what are you talking about right now? Like, what <laughs> yeah, is this? We, we, it's I'm excited, man. Like, it's it's what I would want it to be. That's that's awesome, man. So we'll be on the lookout for that. We encourage everybody to pick it up. You can always shoot us in advance. <laughs> um <laughs> we don't beg for tickets yeah we don't beg for tickets we beg for advances uh cap d man thank you so much for being on the program appreciate you brothers take care appreciate right. you man just appreciate life just appreciate life just appreciate life Nate's inaudible laugh is the best. <laughs> oh, totally. It's because it wants to get out, but he's like suppressing it. It's like it's all shoulders. Sneeze. It's all shoulders. I Lean with see, it, rock I with can it. See the action lines, like the movement lines. Those are stink lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. So we talked to Cap D. Um, amazing dude. A person for whom I 
you know, sometimes you get people on here and you're like, oh, that was kind of fucking inspirational. Like, totally we've had a few. We've had a few, and he he's very much among that. Dude, I mean, uh, what a great storyteller to begin with, and it's really cool to hear that he's um, keeping that going. You know, um, yeah. not not, yeah. not only you know being a fucking the lawyer for the warriors, um, but um, the they're doing the uh, film production and stuff as yes. well moving forward, yes. and that's just really cool, dude. Like, you want a smart dude like him who proved himself to be smart twenty years ago, still at the helm of story, telling these amazing stories. Yeah, it's it's so dope to see the transition, but also he's still in the lane. Like he is in a station in life that he doesn't have to do a record with anybody. Like no, he's totally. good. Right. But um, for him to, to, to keep juice involved, um, legendary MC who we've had on the program to, um, to, to put together a project, I think is amazing. Um, and it's what I would want for anybody who like uh, makes that transition. What I, what I, people can do whatever they want to do. But I get sad when people get too grown for this. Yeah. Like, oh, I have a real job now. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. I don't have to fuck with this. Um, and so it's great to see that he's kind of still grounded in hip hop. And and Nate, I don't know if you caught this. Doesn't he still sound a little bit hungry? Like Yeah. I, I don't think he thinks he ever got enough credit for how good he is at this Mm. and it's Mm -hmm. not like he's doing it for that i don't want to put words in his mouth at all but i think he's like i can still rap pretty darn well and like i'm gonna i'm gonna show people and it's like it's cool to do it as kind of like a thing with your friends and like have a platform to do it and like like juice is a monster like we talked about this extensively on the show where he came on and then online when people were like, wow, you guys interviewed Juice, you're up on that? Like, he's such a great rapper. We're like, we know, dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, similarly, though in a different lane, um, I don't know if Cap is some kind of incredible freestyler. I always think of him more as a writer. And I can't remember if we talked about that or not. But it's like, I think people are about to see like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there was some tweet just recently went, lightweight viral on hip-hop twitter where they're like why are you surprised when people over 40 can rap well it's not yeah. like you can tear your acl rhyming or something right. like that <laughs> I forget who said totally. it. But, um, it's true and it's like there's no reason you need to fall off like falling off is i think sometimes misunderstood as a function of time it's a function of interest Mm-hmm. Ooh, and uh dave that's a hell of a quote right there that's falling off we should have uh, a podcast seriously (laughs) on on stony island even um i'm gonna do a a quick transition here it's related though and i want you to respond to this dave because you're my 21 savage (laughs) go-to 21 savage 42 savage (laughs) savage fenty over here um (laughs) 21 savage is quoted as saying Nas is not relevant anymore he has uh, a good ass fan base and still makes good ass music dave if 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 nate leblanc is to believe be believed and i usually do that falling off is a function of, of attention is nas in his 40s still relevant i think he's certainly relevant um i mean he may he has a rap song that you know he'll put out a song that references a couple things that happened 15 years ago and people are still talking about it how can it not be relevant um and you know it's not to nate's point it's a function of interest i also think it's a function of determination and it seems Mm. like um nas is just certainly like trying hard again 
you know it's funny to see him grow as an artist as we grow as people and it's like oh mm. here's this here's this Nas phase here's that Nas phase and now it's like Nas it seems like he's uh there's a homecoming here it's like Nas, Nas is doing Nas finally again it seems I know that sounds a little corny but I think the music speaks for itself um we were talking a little bit earlier I mean I love the uh the last couple of King's Diseases I hated the first one so this is just crazy how the other two are so juxtaposed but um he's fantastic and yeah, I definitely, um, if there was an ACL, he, he didn't tore, tear his, you know what I mean? The headline yeah. would be, uh, lo local man supports gout. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, what 21 Savage said doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. relevancy is having an engaged fan base. Like, do you know how hard right. it is to have an engaged fan base? In this like, era, right, now? Sure. Um, right. If we want to talk about Billboard charts, he has a point. That's that's one thing. But I think like if you sell decently well, like what is Nas's uh distro and production stuff is mass appeal, right? Like that's a that's yeah. a real company. They have yeah. mm -hmm. they have all the outlets everyone else has. Like it'll go on the billboard charts, maybe not like number one, but it makes it like he's a big artist. Yeah, I, he's, he's he's relevant in that like we're talking about it. Not us three, but us as like hip hop Twitter. You know culture. what I mean? Right. And and he can just make like like an a quick fleeting line about ether and millions of people know what he's referencing. You right. know what I mean? I think just yeah. in this day and age, you know, you go online and you're like, who's this DJ I've never heard of who has three billion followers? So <laughs> seriously, I, think, seriously. I, I, th I think everything is just so splintered. So I'm sure many kids who, who like 21 Savage probably agree with that because Nas just doesn't exist in their world. Well, that's their parents or even in some cases their grandparents music, though. But like yeah. when I was a yeah. kid uh i'm trying to think of a slightly more obscure artist like merle haggard was still relevant because my parents liked him you know what i mean like he wasn't yeah. like relevant on like the billboard charts but if he played at the a theater in santa cruz a bunch of people go you know what i mean yeah. like, and Nas is gonna play madison square garden like come on dog uh yeah, they're acting like it's nothing yeah. Uh, Nas as Merle Haggard, I think, is an amazing place <laughs> to land here. I didn't know that's where we were going, but uh, Merle I, Haggard. I, uh, I there it. was that scene in his documentary where he was driving around New Orleans, like drinking the Hennessy straight out of the bottle, going like, "See, we can sit on that porch." And he was pretty haggard in that one part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with that scene. I think I've talked about that on the podcast like way more than I've ever talked about Nas's music. Oh my God, Merle Merle over here. Um, so, if so, you could still change your Twitter names, I would change my Twitter name to that right now. But I'm gonna get kicked off for being an imposter. Merle Merle parody account. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, you can find us on Twitter for the time being at Dad Bod Rap Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Dad Bod Rap Pod. The bestest way to connect with the bros is through our Patreon, patreon.com slash dadbodrappod. It's like this, but more. Uh, we have more music, more talking, more lists. We are on the verge of listicle season. Uh, we're going to be making mad lists. We're going to be talking about them on our upcoming Quibble Jam episodes. So definitely stay tuned to that. But the Patreon subscribers, because they're down with the team, uh, are going to get some special goodies here at the end of the year. We listen to a shit ton of rap records, so you don't have to necessarily. Um, and and the, the funny thing about like starting the Patreon, um, I had to look it up for something, and we're a little bit over a year 
into it and uh it's like it's amazing how much the the subscribers know like it's like yeah i don't feel like we can it's weird it's like i used to think we knew more than everyone because i'm like arrogant and now i'm like oh we don't know more than even like, know shit. These, these people like this is like the community if you take it as like a hive mind of like yeah sincere and fervent interest in the lyrical and like you know interesting sides of hip-hop it's like it's pretty extensive knowledge that is being dropped in the comments. I learn new stuff every day. So super yeah. awesome. Petty and group. I am thankful to everyone who's down with it. And I can't speak on this too much, but um, I've always wanted to have promo codes or something. We could let people see it to see if they would like oh, it. Oh, interesting. I just want people to hear some of the stuff I put up on there without them having to subscribe. And Apparently, Patreon is going to be rolling out some kind of function like that. They just did video, which I have some ideas I want to mess with. Okay, okay. We're on a wait list to see if we can get promo codes or some kind of access kind of thing. So maybe more on that soon. I don't know. They're a big okay. company. We're not their top priority, but I found yes. that very interesting. That's dope, man. So maybe... Um... Promo code Ether, you can get a <laughs> <laughs> you can get a, some some goodies. But yeah, definitely subscribe if it's within your means, five dollars a month or fifty-one dollars a year. Um, and we really appreciate it, man. Helps the helps the show keep rolling, helps us uh do cool things and bring you more fly content. But uh, you know, until next week, you know what it is, dad bod. Rap Sitting at the lakefront, working on my next LP. At 55th and LSD, yeah, you will see. You see something about the water, man, it soothes the soul. Rinses, cleanses, it keeps us whole. I swear without nature I go insane On these concrete streets I can't maintain Woke up this morning in a foul ass mood So I came to the lake to change my attitude And my altitude with a blackened mind I'm wondering what made Malcolm smile In the midst of hate and ostracism How do people maintain an optimism? Sometimes I think I'm losing mine now if I ain't writing or producing, I'm one step from losing my mind I gotta loosen up and find a way to unwind without no weed and wine I'm peeping out the people as they pass me by I see a fever fly flavor and I'm asking a sigh Staring at the skyscrapers, scratching the sky Blocking out the sunshine, got me asking why, why Uh, let's do that again. This is Dad Bod Rap Pod. I, I can't hear your loud laughs or your snaps or your claps. I feel like there's like a, a, right, a right. decibel filter on or something. Oh, really? It's like, like, yeah, it's it's like it's actually making my jokes not land. <laughs> it's, it's like hilarious Bon Mott silence. <laughs> oh, um, shit. When you back off, it goes into silence. It's yeah. just pure silence. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. Just stay up on it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Nate, have you never noticed that I, I really don't have an audible laugh? I've tried to work on it. I go like this.
<laughs> that is, that's my laugh. Like, I actually don't have enough to laugh. <laughs> that's, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I, the that's fact I've never noticed that is. Like, I've never noticed that. Yeah. Um, I literally, because I listen to it and I go, "That shit was funny. How come I didn't laugh?" That's true. Right. I kind of noticed right. that. Now that yeah, but now, that. but when like, I'm on, I'm like. It's funny, it's funny because we can see you laughing. So we're like, oh, he's laughing. It's like that hit. It it doesn't it doesn't land the same on audio. So I've been working on it. Damn it. Uh, Have you guys noticed I do have an audible laugh? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I've been relying on it for five years.